Hey, hey, Chris. Yes. What are what are we doing here? Because I, I feel like this is all your fault and you need to explain yourself. It usually is my fault, I think, whenever we start a new podcast, which is what we're doing. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's be- it's because of your nagging. It's well-intentioned, but you are a TV nagger. Y- you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so explain yourself. Why do we have these this new podcast? Well, we kept bringing up possible subjects for podcasts or things we'd like to talk about because, you know... We cover a number of series, but it's always sort of, we just talk about that series. And I think the three of us all really love TV. And so we'd have these conversations about these other TV shows. And it's like, you know, we should maybe do an episode of something about that. And then the problem is, well, where do you put that episode? So this this is where we are putting those episodes. This is our podcast uh, uh, junk drawer. That doesn't sound as nice. Anyway, this is where... If we would like to record an episode about a TV show and and not have to create a whole new podcast for it, <laughs> th- those thoughts will go here. Because in case you're not familiar with us already, and this is the first thing you're hearing from us, hi, we sound real professional, I'm sure. And um, my name is Stephanie, and, and her name is Chris, and we have three other podcasts that are currently active, one about Lost Girl called Drinks with the Doll. One about Orphan Black called Tatiana's Everyone, and another about Killjoys called The Quad. But uh, we don't we don't need to start seventeen podcasts just because we like we want to talk about you know fourteen other shows, right? I should certainly hope not. Yes. How about catch all? It's it's a catch all all purpose. How about all purpose? All purpose. Okay, it's like flour. <laughs> <laughs> you can make anything with that. It's it's in the name. There we go. <laughs> So what are what do you have planned for for this already? I think we've come up with a few shows we were certain we we're going to talk about in this little catch-all podcast of ours. Well, the episode that this is attached to is the first in a series of podcast episodes about the hundred. We're covering season three. We're covering all of season three. We're doing it in a weird way. We're starting with episode three hundred seven because that's the that's the one that has most recently aired. So that's where we're starting because major and some stuff, stuff happened, right? Exactly. It's like, well, you know, rather than catch up and release that, then let's just release it now because people are talking about it. We need to talk about it. I think we'll we will most likely talk about person of interest at some point. You're a big fan. I've become a big fan recently again because of Chris's nagging, and it's what I do. Came on Netflix, so we'll probably talk about the person about the person of interest. It's it's not singular. <laughs> talk about person of interest at some points. Probably talk about Jessica Jones at some points. And we are definitely going to be talking about a new series that's debuting in April, I believe, on Sci-Fi called Winona Earp, involving one of our favorite Lost Girl pals. She's kind of a pal. We've talked to her in person. Emily we Andrus. are friendly acquaintances. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> Emily Andrus, she has a new show called Winona Earp coming out that sounds like it could be right up our alley. So we're definitely going to be talking about that. Indeed. But we can't guarantee a regular schedule for this podcast, though it's not going to be... Most of our other podcasts come out pretty regularly. However, this is not going to be that way. It'll be more in fits and starts whenever we have things that we wish to talk about. Much like all-purpose flour, it's in the pantry in case we need it. There we go. I I like this flour metaphor. We might have to do something with this (laughs) on social media. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) We should probably talk about our name of the podcast, Phenalysis. This is a, an invention of yours, Chris, so I'll let you explain. Phenalysis is a portmanteau of the words fan or fandom 
and analysis because we are fans and we like to analyze. I thought it was fangirl and analysis. Was it? Maybe it is. I thought so. <laughs> that works too. Fan and fangirl, you know, fangirl's a, a subsection of fan or fandom in my mind. That's fair. And, and it's gender neutral. But I feel like attaching the girl or the boy on the end, it really emphasizes the intensity of the fandomness of the person. It's true. It's true. It but does. But fan person, that doesn't really work, does it? Not really. Not well. Okay. <laughs> so the thing that I like about the name that we've chosen for this podcast is it's both the name of the podcast as well as descriptive of the content of our podcast. So good job, Chris. Thank you. Let's hand it over to past you. Yes. Let's take it away, me. <laughs> My name is Chris, and my friend Dawson has agreed to co-host these episodes, since we have a lot of feelings about The 100. So many feelings. So we decided we're, we're going to go ahead and start off with the episode that has just aired, which is episode 307, titled 13, because major things happened, and I think we just, we need to talk about them, right? Yes, definitely. There's so many feelings. And we should also introduce, we have a guest with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, I'm just bringing the Aussie twang. I think you guys needed a bit of that. I also need to apologize in advance because I will say the 100. And I refuse, actually, I'm not going to apologize. I refuse to apologize. That's how I feel like that show should be, should be named. Put a one in it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Um, but my name is Tara, aka Taz Bands on the internet. And I also have feelings about this show. Just for the record, Tara is here because if you're going to do anything about the 100, you have to include at least one Aussie. That's like a rule, I think. <laughs> it's literally it's literally the law. I'm pretty sure it's written into the contract somewhere. <laughs> so I, I think it goes without saying, but there will be spoilers. I think we can safely say everything up through episode 307. So if you haven't watched up through this episode, stop listening right now. <laughs> This is not the episode you want to listen to. <laughs> exactly. There's major, major developments this episode, which shall we just start with the flashbacks? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's some major reveals and things that I guess prompt further questions. They'd establish that there's this character, Becca, who is somewhat inadvertently, but she's responsible for the destruction of the world, kind of <laughs> little things like that. It ain't no thing. So, so we actually get a flashback to Becca on the space station Polaris. And I just, I have so many more questions now because apparently it's her space station. I want to, I'm going to shout out for a second. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this is apparently Becca was a super genius scientist with massive amounts of money, I'm assuming, from being a super genius. And I, I'm just gonna put out again, as I say regularly, and many people have, one of the fun things about the hundred is they will give roles to women that normally are inhabited by men. And this is among them that like normally the super genius who accidentally destroys the world <laughs> through super intelligence and too much money, um, is a guy. And I, I appreciate that we do get a woman in this wonderful scientist's role. Makes me really happy. Yeah. And an incredible actress. Oh, how about Erica Sarah, huh? Oh. I, I have enjoyed Erica Sarah for many years. 
since the Eureka days. <laughs> Becca is basically Lex Luthor. Yeah. I think maybe a less malicious Lex Luthor. I think mm. we don't really know enough yet, but she's Lex Luthor. She is. She's sort of a well, I do love that she's kind of a like accidental supervillain, right? But like <laughs> we assume it's accidental. I'm well, I mean, I think given the development of the episode, it has to be accidental. I do think yeah. it is. She definitely seems sad about it. That's the thing. She doesn't seem like, it, you know, that she's happy with how things have turned out at all. But we still don't know what her goal was, is I guess where my hang up is. That's very, very true. We don't we don't know what the plan was. Because, yeah, I just I keep coming back to this whole, you know, why were they all in space? Because it sounded like they were prepared for the missiles destroying the Earth. From everything we've heard, that was the reason they were already in space. But then what we saw in this episode is that they were surprised it was happening. (laughs) And so I'm really confused now. I think Becca and her assistant knew that Allie was dangerous. I agree. Which is why they had her basically technologically locked up. I do... Shout out for the reference to the Faraday cage. That was great. I love sciencey nerdy stuff like that. The Faraday cage that Allie broke out of. Mm-hmm. I think Becca and her assistant were there because they needed an environment that Allie would never be able to access to work from. Yeah, off the off yeah. the grid. I Entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I mean, whether, whether they knew about <laughs> yeah, whether they knew about missiles or not, they were protecting yeah, themselves. But I don't think anyone from her. else yeah. knew. Right, because but see, I guess this is this is the problem I'm having though. Is it makes sense to me why Becca would be up there, but why the other twelve stations full of people? Well, that was they were up there for just for just like general research and science and stuff, right? Which they were, we are doing right I think, now. I think yeah, it, that and also yeah, you don't know where we're going to be. I guess forty years in the future or twenty five years in the future, whatever. But um, I think to some extent they must have known that a type of nuclear war was coming because they were. They were so, like, sort of d- accepted it immediately that, you know, the world was blowing up. They immediately went to the assumption that, that the countries were fighting each other. So I think it was – they were prepared in some instances, but they definitely weren't in space because of that. Yeah. And that was always sort of, like, I think that everyone knew. That was even in the first episode, that uh, Jaha voiceover in the very first episode of the first season where they're, like, the the stations that were in space decided to come together, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's entirely possible that, you know, maybe the world had been on the brink of war for a while. We we don't mm. know yet. I mean, it is now. <laughs> I certainly acknowledge that. It's just one of those things. Like, my mind is just kind of hung up on it because they keep talking about having, you know, 200 years worth of supplies. Like, it was a thing they were preparing for. But then the surprise of it actually happening. I you just, know, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> that question might wrap up with the other question, which is why create a superpowered AI when any good sci-fi story will tell you that that's recipe for disaster. Maybe the world was destroying it. Like maybe we were at that point of climate change where the the earth was on the brink of self-destruction and the 12 stations were there trying to find an answer, trying to find a solution. And in mm. lieu of that, we're sort of stocked to maintain the human race if everything collapsed, which would also explain why Ali one said that her job was to solve the problem of too many people. Interesting. So those things could be connected. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
that it definitely, it definitely is. I mean, that, that's what the show is trying to tell you anyway. You know, you can tell just that's, that's the whole story arc is they're warning us on the future of, you know, what, what path we're going down, whether, you know, that is directly why Ali did certain things. I don't know. They could, they could sure. twist it out there and throw in different things, but I have, yeah, obviously that's what the writers are sort of intending. Yeah. I think there's some good, I, I love, I've, I've always loved the many angles of the hundred. You can look at it through many different lenses and see different pieces. And that's really cool. Something I enjoy a lot Mm -hmm. about the show. And I think this is among those things of like, there's so much there to possibly explore that they could go many directions with it. So this also introduces another aspect of the story, because from what we've seen of Allie one, she was unaware of Becca's location. So, you know, what do we think the repercussions of that are going to be? Huge. (laughs) (laughs) well sure (laughs) back half of the season yeah i think alley too is it's it's the thing right it's the thing that drives the back half of the season i mean that's what that's what it's going to be about right so now you have well you have the conclave and a whole passel of nightbloods and other people who feel they should be leading the grounders going after the flame, what they what they're referring to as the flame, the chip AI thing that was cut out of Lex's neck. You have probably Ali and her crew, Jaha and company, who are going to also be pursuing that if they find out that Ali 2.0 has been in in the commander all along. It seems really far fetched to me that Ali didn't know that Becca came to the ground. It's it's like Ali. Is ob- has obviously been watching what the people at Polis have been doing. She's been, you know, sending those drones out and talking to the mutated grounders and things like that. How did she not not have that connection that Becca must have come down and become a command become the commander? So I was actually thinking about that as well. I think that's a really like legitimate good question. And I also I wonder if that's a part of a lot of people have said, right, it seems a little unrealistic that in 97 years, which is not even like a human lifetime, everyone would forget that this is what actually happened. That yeah. if there was an intentional obscuring of that story. Absolutely. Yeah, I keep struggling with that whole situation that this many things happened in 97 years. It, it just, I struggle with it. I think it. The, the explanation, though, is that if Ali, Ali 2.8, aka Becca, which we should probably sort of, I don't know, if, do we need to quickly backtrack and go... Ali 2.0 being inside Becca and inside Lexa. Right. Does that mean that Ali 2.0 is that personality or is it sort of controlling them? I'm so excited or to is find it out not the answer controlling to that. Them at all? Because, you know, if it's, if Ali 2.0 is Becca and Becca comes to Earth, I can totally understand why that she's going to try and obscure who she is and what she's doing. Because the whole intention of Ali 2.0 is to restart humanity to create a humanity that isn't destroying itself. So if you're taking away the fact that she came down from the space station and instead building this mythological commander being so that she can have control and make sure that people don't beep up again, basically, that makes sense. And I can sort of understand. Remember the almost religious fanaticism about not using guns, which we thought was because I was initially led to in season two that it might be because the mountain men would destroy you. But in fact, seems like just a long held religious belief, which is a totally, to me, a totally fascinating little, little piece. But then if, if the whole point of Ali is to stop us from killing each other, she's literally created a culture 
whose motto is blood must have blood. Like, yeah. that, doesn't that sort of go against it? If you don't want to have guns, you don't want to have us murdering each other, but you create that society and literally create it from the ground up. It's a little bit strange. Yeah, I agree. But I also think that um, I was I was interested in what Becca said about Ali 2.0, that she said that Ali 2 will understand us and live in symbiosis with us. And what she said was that it will know what humans need. Mm. So I'm super curious about like, what does that mean? Because there's a difference between what humans need and what is good and right, you know? Like, so that's a, to me a sort of fascinating, like Ali one clearly came to the conclusion that what humans need is to be fewer. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, the whole thing to me is sort of an interesting mess of, of moral questions. And what is it, you know, what happens when you sort of give up control to a being who perhaps does not have human life? And then that ties in then with, we haven't gotten to the, the death scene yet, but it ties in with the, you're right. Life should be about more than just surviving, which to me was a powerful moment. Yeah, it was, a tu- it was definitely a turning point. Right. I mean, it, that's obviously what they're intending. Right. So there's a if the commander Ali slash Ali two carries that forward, that may shift everything about how the culture works. Also, I do want to point out I am fascinated and interested in Titus's role in what their culture and society has become. I don't think Titus is a happy good guy. I think he cared for Lexa. I think he, like everyone, thinks he's doing the right thing. But I actually think Titus is the equivalent of a religious fanatic. And we all have seen how that can distort and wreck what is a message of hope and peace and love into something terrible. Yeah. I am hoping that that, I'm hoping that he is gone. I, I agree. I mean, I think that's true of all the characters, that there's intention and then there's the method by which they carry that out. I think they've been building him up a little bit, though, I guess, with making him such a such a crazy and radical figure, that it's it's not to me as much about, you know, saying that about his morality and, and his humanity, but just that they want to get rid of that character and they're making him bad because now they can kill him and create a new Flamekeeper, which is sort of what they want to show is how that works. So I don't know if it's they're necessarily even trying to make a point. They're just like, this guy's beep and he's we're going to kill him now so that we can see that process. I mean, that could very well be. I'm I'm mostly just interested in the like, what is the push pull there? And and not necessarily even Titus, but his line of the, the flame keepers, the flame keppa, that mm-hmm. like, what is the story there of how they've influenced the culture right there? Alexa calls him teacher, right? So if they're mm-hmm. teaching the upcoming commanders and he sort of is like the embodiment of tradition and rules and like how much have they been involved in shaping what the culture has become, which maybe was not what was initially intended. Mm. Did you guys watch Fifth Element? Yes. Yes. Many times. You know, the the religious <laughs> order there. It, yeah. It has echoes of that to me because it's like, here's – you know, we're we're going to pass down this ritual, like, here's what you need to know for future generations. Like, it's the same kind of deal. Yeah, like how much was lost in, in the translation and in the political mechanisms. But how do you lose something in the translation if Ali 2.0 is literally a computer? That's a great question. Doesn't I don't know. I'm so curious, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming there are answers, I hope. <laughs> there's, there's definitely, like, something there that I don't think that that we can sort of 
you know, even try and figure out because maybe it doesn't make total sense how that works. Sure. And that they just wanted to have this because you have to have a teacher kind of person. If you're going to have young commanders, you know, you couldn't, can't really just leave them to their own devices. Sure. We would have realized quite quickly that they were controlled by something. Yeah. And not acting by themselves. For sure. For sure. I don't know. And going back to this question of, you know, well, how much of it is Ali 2.0 and how much is Becca and how much is whoever the current commander is? I'm going to make another sci-fi reference. I'm I'm sorry. Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Some of it. I have not, no. Okay. Okay. Because one of the main characters on Star Trek Deep Space Nine was Jedzia Dax, who was a trill who was basically a symbiotic being. There there was Jadzia and there was Dax, and Dax was basically like this weird slug-like creature that lived inside Jadzia. It sounds weirder when you describe it. <laughs> this is what it was, though. If you watch the show, this is this is how it worked. And so part of the interesting character dynamics there was that Dax in a past life had actually been sort of a mentor to the current commander of Deep Space Nine, the space station. And so he and this young woman had this sort of weird, interesting dynamic, and he called her old man and stuff because (laughs) they had been friends in a previous version Mm -hmm. of Dax. And so, I don't know. Like, in my mind, this is where this is going, right? There's shades of past commanders in the new commanders, I'm guessing, Again, I don't know. This is this is strictly yeah. speculation. It's hard. To, it's very hard to know without having seen another commander. I am sort of leading to the to the. It's probably just the. It's one. It's one being now. It's one consciousness. It's not like a personality and then aspects of Ali. I think it's sort of one person, and I think we're going to see that when it transfers to whoever's going to be next. That it won't just be their personality. Like it's it's going to combine and then you'll have all of it together because i mean obviously i think you sort of need to get into the clark lexus stuff to sort of talk about that i don't know if we want to get into that that early this early but obviously we're gonna see that relationship continue right through whoever the next commander is so i think with that we're gonna see how that works i did have a good friend who said something i really liked uh, we were talking specifically about how much of these commanders is ally 2.0 how much is the personality of the being Ali 2.0 is inhabiting and how much is Becca? I don't, I don't, I can't imagine. And and like how much is past commanders, right? But she said something that I really enjoyed. And it's, it's like the old analogy of like, you know, you can take two colors and individually they are those two colors, but when you mix them together, they will never be those two colors again. They are now a new color. And that's the like, I think that's a great way to think of it that it's just adding a new color every time. Right. Right. It becomes something new every time. And that's so I don't know, it'd be interesting to see. I'm to me that's a fascinating topic of of identity and personality and, and something that's actually, as someone who lives and works in the tech world in some aspects, is a real question mark in our actual culture right now, the idea of technological consciousness and how that might manifest. I mean, that's those are things that are really happening in tech labs and science labs all over the world right now. So it's super relevant and interesting and current. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think they've established pretty clearly that they're not the same person just because, you know, even Titus was talking about how Lexa has managed to do things that no other commander has done. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think he served at least three commanders before her. 
talking about how she was different and she was special and all this sort of thing. I would really love to get a look into sort of how the communication between the previous commanders works. Like if they are all sort of in the City of Light, obviously Lexa was sort of communicating with the previous ones in Mm -hmm. some way or was Mm -hmm. just getting visions from them or whatever. How cool would it be to just see them like sitting at a table together, just kind of having a conversation? Kind of want to see that. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. The only thing that I was sort of questioning was Becca's, I mean, I guess it ties into more the Nightbloods and stuff, but how the sort of blood vials tie in. Oh, yeah. I took from that that she was creating the Nightblood blood, whatever that was, to adapt to human system to sort of accept Ali. Mm-hmm. Not that the Nightblood or the, that Ali was in the blood or anything like that. Obviously, that was ruled out when they we saw the flame. Um, but then it's kind of like, how did she create the Nightbloods then? Did she sort of just go down and start injecting people and sort of they, it, it was passed on randomly or does she still have blood vials? Like, is, do they still exist? Do they still use those? You know, it's kind of a, it's a great, it's interesting thing. a great question. I don't think we have an answer to it so far. I, I agree. I think the, the black blood is meant it's, it's how the body is made to be able to accept the, AI interface, mm-hmm. I think. But we did see Becca packing up a case full of it when she, mm-hmm. just before she got into the pod. So I'm, what yes. I'm curious about, like you, is are they still manufacturing it somehow? And like, is it administered just, to people? Just or everyone, yeah. It, or see, it is- is it passed on? Is it a bloodline thing where there were the first night bloods that Becca made and then genetically somehow that's passed on to their op- to some of their offspring? I don't know. Yeah. And obviously it skipped certain people. But then the right. fact that, I mean, it's always been mentioned that they primarily come from tree crew. So it almost seems, I mean, I guess that they would breed within their sort of their clans and things like that. But But maybe it is to some extent like just still being, still, still being given out. I don't know. Yeah, that would be that would uh, that would make Antari an incredibly interesting story. How that happened yeah. and how she ended up yeah. with Nightblood. I, I did listen to the Dropship podcast interview with Jason Rothenberg, mm-hmm. and he did say in there something about I guess the black substance that we see Becca injecting herself with was actually gene therapy. Yeah. Okay. So then it could genetically be passed on to the offspring of the original Nightbleeda. Yeah. And so, I mean, they, they did establish, I guess, the group of people that Becca finds when she lands are the original Nightbloods. The first Nightbloods, yeah. So I guess she used the remaining gene therapy for them, I guess. That's the current but hypothetical. But if she did, if there is still a case somewhere with some of that gene therapy in it, what does that mean? Are you saying someone Clark? could become- Can we maybe <laughs> Can we maybe inject that into someone named Clark, please? <laughs> I okay, that'd be cool. But also, <laughs> actually, I'm hoping they don't go that direction because yeah. I love the idea of Clark as something else, someone else. Oh, bringing it back to earlier, somebody was talking about why hasn't Allie found Allie 2.0? Mm-hmm. I think from what we've seen. Allie's just looking in the wrong place. I don't think Allie yeah. even has it on her radar that I think Allie's Allie looking for code. That's the problem. Allie's a person. Yeah. Why would you think that? Right. I think Allie's looking for. I mean, she. We know. I don't think we know. She's right. looking for software. Right. 
it hasn't occurred to her. I mean, the the whole thing has been she's had people bringing her tech because yeah. that's where she expects to find it, which is a logical conclusion. Yeah, I think it's it's less so that I think that she would be looking for Ali 2.0 and more that I thought that she would be looking for Becca or that she would have seen Becca mm, um, mm-hmm. or have knowledge of the fact that Becca was on the ground. And then to that point, like, if Ali 2.0 knows that Ali is there, if Becca knows that Ali is there, because she must, there's no way that the commanders don't know that Ali exists, then, like, why haven't they stopped her? Why haven't they gotten rid of her in some way? I've wondered about or just that as can, well. can they just not? It just seems, it just seems like, Le- you know, Lexa never brought up the fact that there was an evil AI chilling somewhere. <laughs> I mean, surely it was passed down to at least the commanders that that's how like the war began you would think that that wouldn't be lost entirely you would think i don't know who knows i don't know maybe it'll be explained maybe it won't (laughs) (laughs) so many questions anything else or shall we move on to titus actually i have one last point and it's not even a discussion topic really particularly just um i thought it was really really interesting when we saw the flashbacks of the arc and unity day that they literally blew Polaris out of the sky after Polaris said, it's okay, we're going to come and join you. Like, they were brutal as heck to just kill them, regardless. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that got to me. I was like, Jesus, that's intense. You murdered the people. You have There's, like, very few people left in the universe, and you just blew up a space station because they wouldn't join you immediately. I, don't, I didn't like it. I know you said it wasn't a discussion point, but I have a point of discussion on that. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I absolutely love, I mean, I, I also hated it, but I loved that moment. And they do this a lot in The 100 because, as particularly in this episode, what they have done is they've shown how big and small decisions can lay the foundation for an entire cultural framework, right? That, like, this is mm. just to be a might bit political. You know, when you go out and you vote and you make these choices that, in a hundred years are going to lay the foundation for what your culture is. And if we remember the arc was a brutal place. Yeah. And, and yeah. this was sort of the beginning of that. We got to see that sort of the, that brutality. Yeah. I also, but it's, it's so beepy that they didn't own up to that though. You know, like yeah. unity day and Polaris not joining them has always been as according to the citizens of the arc, you know, they did it for a reason. Right. But to see that they, you know, that decision was just out of spite. It was to make an example, quote unquote. Yeah. Make an example. Let's go ahead and talk about Titus, who is terrifying with his, he's got like a little torture chamber all set up and poor Murphy. I love Titus so much. Not that I think he's (laughs) He's a a good person. (laughs) He's a great character, though. I mean, you you have to have characters that you hate, and God, don't you just love to hate him? Yes. Um, I would love to see, because I hate him so much, I would love to see how that flamekeeper is chosen. Um, (laughs) Tara's like, just kill him. Just get it over with. (laughs) Just get rid of him. But I think, I mean, it's sort of, again, from from a storytelling production point of view, there was no reason for Murphy to be there in any of those scenes that 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 sort of the torture and stuff sure we got to see what titus was really like but it was just kind of a weird decision for that character whereas now that murphy has seen how it works and how the flamekeeper you know what the flamekeeper's role is 
and he also understands the mythology and, and sort of all of that. Is he going to be the next Flamekeeper? I was going to say, are you Is implying Murphy might be the next Flamekeeper? That'd be cool. I might be. I might be. That might be where my Who's, head went. Who puts Murphy in charge of something? That's a terrible idea. But, but who, Titus, who put Titus in charge <laughs> okay, good of point. this man? Good point. Like, clearly this person has to be really brutal. They have to understand how it works and why it works. And Murphy came to the, those conclusions about the mythology himself. He figured it out. Yeah. No one told him. I think they should make Clark the new flamekeeper because that would just really piss Titus off. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that's huh? not a bold yeah. enough role for her, though. Like, no, she, exactly. She can't be the she can't be the person who teaches people. Yeah, she's the lead. Yeah, she's too good for that. <laughs> it's her story. <laughs> it would explain why Murphy still exists because he exists for no reason right now. Yeah. Why has he survived this long? Because he's the one who knows everything. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say Murphy is exactly. really Murphy's the observer. He's the the witness to everything yeah which is exactly why my my head went oh he's gonna be the only one who understands how this shit works if the flame keeper dies he's gonna have to do it dude that would be so cool dude yeah. that would be so cool i hadn't even thought of that so thanks for that that's <laughs> there great there you go that's my theory <laughs> i mean in in all honesty i can't imagine that they'll make a sky person the new flame keeper but well i don't know if they're gonna have a choice if no one else knows and murphy does but how do you know that nobody else knows? That's true. You Good don't. Point. You don't. You there could, could be someone else. But I, but yeah, they could pull in someone else at a, at you know at the last second and be like, hey, this is my Titus you know, is apprentice the person that I've been teaching. Yeah, yeah apprentice the entire time. Um, but they are big on seconds, so it's true. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they have true, a true. second. I just for feel Titus. like the way the way they're leading towards the sky people joining, you know, literally this this combination of people that's sort of creating this new humanity that eventually they're going to have to accept them in ways like that. And I think that could be another one of those those steps that they take for the Sky People to become part of the the culture. Could be. Or maybe yeah. not. You never know. Perhaps I not. do have to air one grievance I have with Titus. Yes. Because, Just like, it, well, <laughs> a major sort of one. The thing he did at the end of the episode, <laughs> which I don't think anyone loves him for, is that the one? <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, I, <laughs> I'm never going to forgive him for that. But I just his job is to protect and teach the Hedda, but he is constantly, constantly publicly questioning Lexa. And it just, how is that helpful, Titus? I have a thing about Titus. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay, so this is <laughs> listening to, I also listened to a couple of the Dropship podcasts, which, by the way, a great podcast. Y'all should go listen to it because it's good. But I was listening to Javi talk about a scene we haven't gotten to where at the end of the episode, Titus does this sort of really heinous, terrible thing accidentally, but still. And he sort of hit on this thing about Titus that I think is interesting and and I hope is expanded upon because it's an interesting framework in which to see him, which is that Titus is sort of the representation of toxic masculinity in their culture that like he constantly speaks over. Lexa. He constantly is undermining her. He is incredibly controlling. He uh, sort of manipulates her and plays on her emotions, that he is this sort of representation of that problem. And I, I thought that was a really interesting thing. So to your point of like him constantly questioning her and like speaking over her, that that's right in line with that thematic lens to view him through. And that he firmly believes that what he's doing is right. Yeah, and also that his role, I mean, I guess what I see it as is that his role with the, he's had three, three previous commanders 
and he has been doing the same thing with them and pushing them down and controlling it, it makes sense as to why now is only the first time that change is happening because Lexa is standing up to him. Right. Whereas the previous three commanders obviously were under his thumb. So it, it definitely ties into like, oh, now it's changing because we finally have someone who doesn't take his bullshit. Right. And I, so I think that that is in story wise, his, his role is to sort of have been the reason for it to not be better. Yeah. Before now. I agree. And I think that's also part of his, I mean, not that he doesn't have a lot of reasons for having a bit of beef with Clark, but that's a part of his beef with Clark is Clark is dangerous because Clark incites Lexa to defy him mm-hmm. essentially. And that to me, I don't know. I find that an interesting sort of probably because I've had to deal with the realities of being a man moving through our world and what that means that like that sort of thing is a fascinating thing to me to kind of put on TV and talk about and like, and that he really believes what he's doing is right. Mm. He really believes he's yeah. keeping them all alive. He is, he is literally the embodiment of like the, the problem with humanity yeah. and, and how Lexer is overcoming it. Yeah. And also like, yeah, that leads into again, what he did in the end of that episode. And I think that's, it's very important why it was him. Yeah. Because it had to be that character. Yes. For that sort of happen. Yes. And I think it's established in the story that, He's he's threatened by Clark because Clark is, you know, supportive of Lexa and what Lexa wants to do, which is clearly not what Titus is signed up for. Yeah. And I think there are questions around, like, how far has Titus gone and how far will he go? Some of which I think were really nicely answered at the end of this episode, how far he'll go. Mm. But I know people are asking and have been asking for a long time, did Titus have something to do with Costia's death? And after this episode, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I wonder if we'll even see it, though, at this point, or if it's just sort of not really relevant. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, Tara, if we want to get into, like, Titus getting killed, like, if, like, someone, like, Clark finds out and tells the new commander, and then Titus gets dead (laughs) because (laughs) of all that he's done, that's a potential possibility. That'd be cool. (laughs) At least a reference to it. I don't think we would actually yeah. see it because that's a lot of story time to devote to something that has kind of served its purpose, I guess. Yeah. And really, like, where will Titus stand on Juice Drain, Juice Down now? Yeah, I mean, that could have, that, that could be the turning point where maybe he doesn't need to die if he can sort of have some redeeming journey now, but... I find that unlikely. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I think we've got enough about redeeming humanity that he's just kind of, like... Sometimes you just gotta gotta kill them. Yeah. You gotta have that blood. I also suspect that in some way Titus will he I'm sure he feels the guilt and he'll blame himself, but for him, in the framework of his skewed religious perspective, it was the blasphemy of using a skyker weapon, of using a gun that caused this horror right? So like that mm. could easily actually incite him to further zealous behavior right to like to use that as a cover for for his bad decision making i mean i wouldn't be surprised at all if he blamed this on murphy or clark or something he has to protect clark though curious to see if he'll keep that promise he'll have to you know why because the commander doesn't ever really die and she would then know (laughs) yeah yeah i don't think he has any choice i I don't know he's such she's i can see him still being an asshole. True. I don't think that's going to go away. I could see him but, locking um, her up to keep her safe. <laughs> Seems oh like a God. tightest thing to do. I don't want to see that. Oh, no. I know. That would be intense. Let's not that do that. That would be a different show altogether. 
spinoff, the spinoff. All right. This is Room 2.0. Talk about Octavia and Indra? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think this is something that's been, I mean, everything has been overlooked in this episode with, with good reason, but it's something that I didn't notice until the fourth time that I sort of like looked at it and, and saw them. But those the scenes between them, there were, what, four or five little scenes where we only saw tiny bits of their conversations, but then they're about to go back to the sky people and cause some trouble. And I think that's pretty intense. Octavia is always, to me, and in this episode as well, the first half of the episode, she's like looking to Clark going like, Clark, what the heck are we going to do? Clark, it's you, we need you. What What's going to happen? And she's obviously hit that turning point now where she's like, well, if Clark's not going to do it, I am. And I think that's a, that's a big, big leap for Octavia's character. Right. I think it's actually really interesting and, and smart on the part of the show to essentially have Clark gone from Arcadia for three months, because now it's like, okay, there's just a sudden big change in the character dynamics of the Arkers or whatever we want to call them, <laughs> the Sky People. So, mm-hmm. you know, what happens, it's essentially, I mean, it's a bit of a power vacuum, which is carried through with the adults, of course. So I think now we're seeing the effects also on the original 100 or the 45, I think. <laughs> yes, I agree with everything you all just said. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> I'm so excited for Octavia and Indra. I love where they've taken their characters. Yeah. I'm also really curious how Clark's absence essentially is going to affect the relationships of Really all the characters, because Octavia, as far as she knows, Clark chose not to go with her. So, you know, what what are the repercussions of that going to be? I'm super curious how the news... I mean, it's got to be like a big thing, right? When the commander dies, there's there's got to be like writers are sent or something. Like people have got to know how like how that gets to Arcadia and like how that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean it's it's bound to be sort of interesting because if this if they are still being held in by the 12 armies, I don't see why that would have changed. Yeah. Whether whether or not they're going to find out immediately, like no one knows other than the grounders, why would they tell the sky crew if they didn't want to seem weak and vulnerable? That's fair. Because if they find out that there's no commander and that they can, you know, sort of push back and they, they can utilize that vulnerability. So I, I don't think that they will be telling Arcadia. Which on the flip side may mean that Arcadia may find out through some other way. Exactly. And then we can exactly. have that very conflict, right? Where they go, now is the time for us to bust yeah, through the I think blockade. That's, and- that's the obvious choice yeah. of the, the, how the conflict will progress for sure. And then those jerks will realize that Clark was right when she kept saying, Lex is the one who's protecting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, think- I mean, it's it's going to, it's internal conflict as well, though. It's like, uh, they, because we have to wait for the new commander, are, are the grounders just going to sort of stop being assholes I'm super for a little curious, while? Yeah. Or are they going to start push? Are they going to just fight Sky Crew now? Like, well, and is who, someone going to. How are decisions that? made? When you're sort of in yeah. between commanders, right? While the conclave is happening, like how does that? How do decisions get made? Do is it like the ambassadors all kind of vote? Do, does is there like a second in command who takes over? Like what's the is Titus in charge Shh, now? I'm so scared about that idea. I don't want it to be that, <laughs> but I'm afraid it might Would be. They, they they haven't really been in this situation where all of the twelve clans have been united against something. That's true. So I wouldn't say that they would even have a you know they wouldn't they wouldn't have a how would they have, have that, pr- that that process? And yeah, yeah, that's so true. I think it'll be a little bit like oh beep, what do, what do we do, guys? And uh, 
I'm hoping that they won't make any rash decisions, but I also can imagine that, you know, we probably haven't seen the last of the Ice King. Oh, yeah. So maybe he'll sort of come into it. Maybe he'll try and take over for a little while. And he seems like, you know, a reasonably rational guy, so I wouldn't mind if he stood in for a little bit. Yeah, it'll be, I think what it'll probably be is a lot of political maneuvering, right? I mean, everybody, when you mm-hmm. have a power vacuum like that, there's always... Or do we see Luna just come back straight up That'd be and rad. be like... Well, you know, if she is the eighth novitiate, if she is a nightblood, if she comes back and goes, I I didn't die <laughs> during the conclave. I still ex- I'm still alive. Right. Therefore, it should fall to me. Right. I don't know. We we don't know what she's like. We don't know if she's even a good person. Yeah. I would assume she is from what Lincoln and Lex, you know, Lincoln has said. And I feel like when Lincoln trusts people, Lexa. I trust people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Does anyone else have any other um, theories about the Eighth Novitiate? The only things I can think of, just because they're the only other characters that we've had hints about, and either hints about or or have been introduced to, the only other thoughts I have are Kostya and mm-hmm. Ontari. Yeah. It seems doubtful that it's Ontari, yeah. especially, but... Who knows? The, the thing for me about Ontari, I have, I have also heard that theory. The thing for me about Ontari is that... If that were the case, Lexa and Titus would not have been surprised. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it quite fits the story. I mean, the fact that Lexa didn't want to talk about the Eighth Novitiate, like, obviously this person was involved in the Conclave. It's not like it was someone she didn't she didn't know or wasn't aware of, so it doesn't quite, doesn't quite fit. And the Costia right. thing, I mean, again, it could have been, but why wouldn't she have just told that to Clark in that scene? Like, why would that not why would that be a secret i mean it seems like there has i to wouldn't be, have that well, conversation with someone i just slept with about my dead lover like <laughs> you could be right you could be right but it also doesn't really make sense story-wise for it to be someone who's already gone you know that needs to be a conflict i think it i mean i, I would put my money on luna i agree that while i think the idea of it being costia is an interesting one like in terms of the history of the story it's not interesting enough to make that a particular like that's a major plot moment that they they mm-hmm. took what was a very emotional moment and used it for a major plot moment, and that's a big deal to make the decision to do that. Um, yeah. So I think it has to be something that um, moves the story forward, and I think Kostya doesn't do that any like unless there's something there that we don't know. That story has played itself out, right? Like we've seen, yeah. And while interesting to the history, not something that will move us forward in terms of the storyline of the commanders and what is obviously going to be something really interesting about why about who the eighth novitiate was and why it was the way it was and what it meant i actually am i am interested in like the luna theory and agree that like it seems to make reasonable sense i feel a little bit like it's not enough though that there that there's something bigger there that we don't know about and that's pure Mm. gut instinct simply simply my my general sense yeah that- i mean like there absolutely could be it could be something i think those are the two sort of options it's going to be either a character we've heard about but haven't seen or it's going to be someone or something um entirely different and you're yeah there would be no way to predict it it's going to be i think interesting either way i i like that because we don't know anything about luna that's still a pretty big black hole that could go anywhere you know we don't know luna could end up being god anyone you know Maybe there's Alley 3.0. Yeah. And it's Luna. You know, you know. <laughs> Who knows? It's hard to. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we talk about Clark and Lexa? Oh. 
you can tell you can tell that we've we've been skirting around that. <laughs> so, I don't want to get emotional. No, just kidding. I know. <laughs> We're all like, okay. Save it for the, the end so it won't be too terrible if we cry. Won't have to get through too much more. You'll clean it up in the editing room, right, Chris? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Take my salts out. <laughs> yeah. Just the sound of all of us crying. <laughs> so pain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that sums up the Clark and Lexa. <laughs> like, actually, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the thing. I think probably you both agree with me. It doesn't sum it up because actually there was a lot of incredible, really wonderful, really beautiful Clark and Lexa moments. I I agree. It was it was very very beautiful, and then there was extreme pain. Yes. Yeah. So So it wasn't just pain, though. Pain is probably what we all took away from it, which is fair. I mean, yeah, you're immediately, that was the immediate, well, the first reaction I had was like shock. Even though I knew it was coming, I had a moment of shock and didn't, didn't register what was going on. And then I went back to work and I sat at my desk and I was like, oh, oh, right. And then I was in tears. So, so, um, yeah, the immediate react, the, that immediate emo- emotional response is like, I can totally, totally see why people don't look, look past that and, and may never look past that. And that's, that's fine. You know, you've yeah, got to totally fair. You've got to understand sure. that people you know, people come to it from a different a different place emotionally, and, and yeah, yeah. There is so much I loved in it, though. Like, I know a lot of people said like, and and that's it's totally fair, right? A lot of people have said like, I can't even rewatch the episode. Like, I can't even mm-hmm. enjoy the good stuff that was in it. And and but I'm not that person. I've rewatched it several times. Like the the scenes. I mean, everybody has said it, and everybody knows. Like Alicia and Eliza are spectacular individually and together mm-hmm. truly um, yes like truly amazing work and just the like but the the heartfelt goodbye scene like gets me every time <laughs> every time yeah yeah mm-hmm. you i noticed something different every time about the the way that they played it and there's so much depth there. and and also you know even this the story implications i mean that that's the thing that i've having again rewatched it several several times all of it that just there was so much depth to what that, what all of it means yeah. that I think was just so important in this story and and in storytelling in general to see the way that, you know, these two people who have incredible walls that they built up and then they're finally, they set it aside and they show vulnerability to each other and they realize that it isn't weakness, you know, that literally that love and that, that those emotions and the feelings between them is what is changing humanity. Like, it's not like it's just a small love story where you're like it's you know this depressing tale of of people's falling in love and not being able to be together they're literally going to change this entire society through loving each other and regardless of sexuality or gender or anything that is ridiculous and it's so important and i'm so glad i'm so happy that that it is you know an lgbt relationship that we can see is having that impact because i agree it's not about their sexuality it's just about how that that love can mean something more than just yeah so that's that's what i've taken from it to not feel ridiculously uncomfortably sad about it i've gone what does that mean and then that's yeah i think it's just it's beautiful i could not have said it better myself i agree that it just it is it is beautiful both in in the small intimacy of it right in the, the small story which is people in love and it is yet more beautiful in so many outward layers as you get into the like this is a love that is like you said it's literally going to change the fabric of the story and the culture and like the world and that's 
spectacular in any love story and doubly spectacular, I think, in an LGBT love story. Like, that's just, to me, was yeah. lovely. I'm glad beyond everything and beyond everything that's happened and, and, and every sort of implication of that, that, um, that, you know, that's the legacy, the legacy of them. And that's why I am not going to stop, I, you know, I'm not going to stop watching the show as much as, and, you know, we should mention the fact that it, it wasn't well written in a lot of ways and there was a lot of problems and I absolutely empathize and understand and acknowledge the problems with it, but it doesn't change for me personally, the fact that their legacy and those characters are still some of the most ca- important characters to me and to this show. And, you know, yeah. yeah. And that it will resonate across the whole fabric of the show. Right. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. same. That's why I will continue to watch because there's, it's so, there's so much that's great there, you know? And, yeah. And that, that was the legacy they, they decided. I hope to- it, ha- I hope it does have positive implications, you know, as much as we talk about creators doing better, for, for characters like that in the future. I hope that the, the positive implications are that despite everything, the, the legacy is that these two people were so important and, and this, this love was so important and, uh, it, you know, was boundless and didn't, didn't fall to stereotypes. I think that, that I hope that good does come out of it regardless. Agreed. For other, every content creator. Do we want to talk about the way it was done and the discussion and the, I mean, I think those are good things to talk about. I, I mean, I, I think we yeah. have to. This yeah, is a logical absolutely. place to do it, I feel it like. A, it is a very, very important thing to be talking about. And uh, I have, you know, I wish that there was a bit more of an open discussion about it um, because I know that, and I think there will be later, everyone is very, very emotionally invested and emotionally charged. And I can, you can see that from Tumblr and Twitter and, and it's totally a reasonable reaction to it. But I hope that the discussion does evolve from that and we do get to see more about the positives outside of that, the, the negative. But anyway, let's talk about the negative. Well, before we even get to that, I, I gotta say, like, what's kind of interesting to me is that I kid you not, earlier in the week, I'd been thinking about, you know, the show and the characters and sort of like gradually dawning on me, like, you know what, I think I have also fallen in love with Lexa. Like, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, just the fact that she's so respectful of really everybody, but especially Clark, you know. And yeah, just like Lexa is such a great character. And I'd been thinking about this a lot earlier in the week. So yeah, this episode hit me super hard. Because mm-hmm. it's one of those things I I expected on some level for Lexa to die. They've mm-hmm. been talking about it all season. This show Do you ever talk about anything other than your death? Exactly. And I mean, this show, they talk <laughs> they about told how- us it was gonna happen, guys. And they they talk about how they always talk about stuff happening and then the stuff happens. Like that's sort of like a point of pride for them that if they say something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. So it's not that it happened that upsets me. I mean, I am upset that it happened. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But yeah. that's not the point of contention for me. And I don't think it is with anyone really. I mean, I have been reading everything that people have been saying. You know, I'm I'm not one to even though I don't agree necessarily with with some points that people are making on on both sides and and on the creator side and on the the sort of outrage side. I've been reading everything and it does come down to after getting over that sort of emotional thing that yeah, she to to further the story, she needed to die. It it did. It it had to happen. And I know people are they're saying, yeah, you know, she she didn't necessarily she could have left. She could have, you know, 
we could have figured out that she had the thing in her neck without it. But from a storytelling point of view, it is it was the best option to tell that story. But not at all from the storytelling point of view of you shouldn't you shouldn't have done it in that way at all. Like there's obviously issues there. Right. But if they had done things slightly differently, if it had been done slightly differently, that was absolutely the only way to continue that story in such a powerful way. That's what I come out of it. And, I, and you know, that's a, that's coming from a content creator and, and someone who's into product, TV production. And I have produced shows and I know how this Beep. works. And that, that was the way to do it, unfortunately. And it worked. I yeah. mean, and I have heard, I've heard several people say it, right? Like, stop talking about how you wanted us to feel like we all feel terrible in the story. Like, I've seen the... I had to take a day off from social media yesterday to get away from, because the, I have a couple of things I want to say, but one of them is this. I'm in a soapbox for a second. Being upset about it and being angry about it, feeling what you feel entirely valid, totally justified. Believe me, trans characters are not served much better than lesbian characters. I know, and I get that. But I want to say this, and I think it's important, and I want to, as an older queer person, say that there is a certain responsibility to how you behave. How you feel is totally fair and reasonable and justified. I have seen behaviors that are not. To be super clear, it is never okay to find someone's address and put it out on the internet. It is never okay to send death threats to people. It is never okay to do those things. Like that even in your anger, the anger is justified that those actions are not, right? There's no, I don't think there's a circumstance where the death of a fictional character should cause real harm, physical harm to real living people. That's just not, that's not acceptable behavior to me. So that's my one, I want to like draw that line that like. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think everybody, you know, sort of those of us who are talking about it, like are all saying that, right? (laughs) That like, your anger is valid. Your pain is justified. We it, we get it. Yeah. I just am, I'm a little concerned over some of what I have seen in terms of action. Not everybody by any means. The other thing I want to say is I want to shout out to Javi, who wrote the episode, for all the time he spends resharing and retweeting and amplifying the voices of people who were hurt and frustrated and said good things and bad things that a part of his MO became hearing that and amplifying that so other people got to hear that. And I I appreciated that that was his approach. Those are my major things that I wanted to say about the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Because I think that was, that was good. And I did see a thing recently where someone wrote to him on Tumblr, I think, and said, I feel like you have heard us and just being heard helps me heal. And I thought that was really great. So. Yeah, I mean, and his his response, uh, the the one I've seen it responded in a lot of different ways, and obviously, you know, it's all relevant. But the one thing that I took out of the things that he was said was that not only has he listened and understood and acknowledged, but he's not trying to make excuses. He has apologized, but he's not trying to make excuses. He's going, "I'm gonna do better," or "Give me the chance to do better." And yeah. I think. Of all of this, I think that's that's the only way that they could respond in a way that's that's fair and just. But also, I'm just really giving kudos to him for for doing that. And I think it will. You can really see that that it's resonated with him, um, and that's really important. I mean, yeah, I think uh, we need to sort of, I guess, 
go into the the issues, you know. Yeah, shall we talk about what the actual issue was as we've all talked about the backlash? <laughs> We're skirting around it again where we like we don't want to we don't want to exactly it's so terrible. <laughs> it is. It, it is. is. Because the the issue again, it's I'm upset that it happened, but I understand from a storytelling point why they would tell it tell this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what how thing. they tell the story. Exactly. How they tell the and story is another thing. Yeah, how and when because mm-hmm. it was so poorly carried out. Mm-hmm. And I, I was telling one of my friends, Melanie Killingsworth, who actually wrote an excellent blog post about this. I will link to it in our show notes. But we were talking about how 70% of the reason I'm so upset about this is how closely this scene echoed the death of Tara on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because, I mean, the, that's sort of like the archetypal example of this trope yeah and it it plays out almost identically to that situation and just in my mind there is no way that they can be aware of this trope existing and not know that they were doing it the exact same way and that's a problem i agree and i think from what i have heard from most of the people i've talked to that's sort of a general consensus is that, well, I'm going to say a thing that's maybe not super popular, but the reality is when you put the stories of queer people in the hands of straight people, they're going to fail to tell them very well. And I think what happened, my impression of what happened, I could be wrong. I don't know. My impression of what happened is that while they knew about the issue with the trope, because they have not experienced life as a queer person, they did not understand the gravity of what they were doing. There was a, um, Javi did a response to someone where he said something like, you know, the problem feels like in our arrogance, we thought our good storytelling would make this okay. The implication being that if I think that he sees now that that's not the case, right? You can't good storytell your way out of this difficult experience, which is, my thing is, is a thing they would know if they had lived it, but they have not. And this is a part of why I'm a huge advocate of LGBT people, people of color, minorities of all kinds, being able to tell their own stories, because you can't quite do them proper justice. You don't have the history and the gravity in your bones yeah. unless you've experienced it firsthand. And I think that's where the misstep happened, is they they knew, but they didn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I'm I'm going to make an even more slightly unpopular point in that a lot of people are saying that that they owed the LGBT community better. And to some extent I don't, you know, I don't I don't agree with that. I think they absolutely absolutely owed them understanding and and you know sort of acknowledging stuff like that and being cautious and you know and and actually doing their research and thinking and and putting the time to think about it. I don't think that they owe the community to tell these stories in any different way. I think that it's great if content creators do want to do that and they do want to do justice to LGBT communities and and characters. And I'm like, kudos, yes, please do that. But I don't think that every single content creator owes us that. And us, because I I, I am part of this community. But I I also see it from both sides where I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think that they had to do better. I don't think it's up to them to be the ones to do better. If they want to tell a story in a way that they want to tell it, awesome. I mean, but but at the same time, do your research 
and and consider these. And I, I agree that they didn't they didn't realize they couldn't have known, and so they they did sort of approach it thinking that they were they were doing doing okay that they weren't going to sort of you know make these mistakes. But the reality is now they have made the mistake. That is an important step to content creators understanding to some extent. I know it it sucks that it had to happen for, for for it to change, but it's the same it's the same way that anything changes for communities like that and for minorities like that is that one thing has to happen for people to realize. And you know, at least at least the the one positive out of this is if it probably isn't going to happen again. It's definitely not going to happen again on this show. I would put my money on, you know, that I trust the writers enough to not make that kind of mistake again. So I hope that they did learn from it. Well, I think one of the good points that Melanie made in her post was the issue that storytelling doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yes, it by itself is good storytelling. It you know was designed for maximum impact, which it delivered on, I guess. But in the context, the greater context of stories, this is exactly like the thing that had happened before and just, you know, ripped open old wounds for I think a lot of people. I know mm. it did for me. Yeah, absolutely. I totally yeah, I totally get that and I totally agree. I do wanna I'm not trying to start a fight with you, Chris. <laughs> I wanna contend a little bit the this is exactly like the Tara dying on Buffy episode. Like just a little bit, in that that episode when we talk about context, the context of that episode was these two lovers had been apart and like crazy beep had happened. And the con that episode was them coming back together for the first time. And then immediately one of the characters dying. What I, I am not defending the way it was done. I agree. Please don't kill your gay characters right after they have sex with their lovers for the first time. Like just stop doing it. <laughs> just stop we all agree on that. entirely across we the board. All on Everybody that side. agrees. Yeah. No, no one. <laughs> Please don't that. do it anymore. <laughs> I'm not arguing that they, that that was fine or whatever. What I will say is that what I do appreciate is this show gave us an incredibly rich story with these two women together over a long period of time. I, I have seen people like, why didn't they just do more stuff with Clark and Lexa? Like Alicia was not available. The fact that they were able to get her for as many episodes as they did is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, in order to wrap up the story the way they wanted to, I just, I don't, I, I would contend that while the actual event of it, and I agree, Chris, I think the actual event is almost identical, like in terms of the actual moment in time, but the context is different. And I appreciate it. Oh, least I'm not arguing that the that context is different. That, yeah. I didn't think you were, but I just like, Putting the way it's there. filmed even is very similar and it's just it, yeah. it's too close of an echo yeah. in my mind it's just it's too and that's again the like if you didn't experience that piece of history as a queer person you probably could never understand mm. how how much you will be ripping open old wounds right yeah. like in terms of this this you know what we're calling the bubble the bubble of storytelling and, and being inside this bubble i think and, and again, I don't, I don't want to be negative against this because I, I'm absolutely as outraged as everyone else. So let's just, I'm going to keep bringing that point back. I'm on your side, guys. But I think that this bubble of storytelling doesn't just exist around those moments in time. Like you're saying, like you can't take that one moment out and go, I can never look at Clex, like Clark and Lexa the same way again because of this one little tiny bit of this story. But you have to take their entire story and you have to look at 
the bro- the broader bubble of that and the broader bubble again of the implications of you know the similarities in the trope but that's that story is so important to me and i know a lot of people are going like that they, they can't they wish that clark and nexer lexer never happened you know they they were like i would rather have them never get together than have it it end this way and that that's fine if you if people feel that way again i i think you're entitled to absolutely feel whatever you want to feel and and don't watch it again if if that's how you feel don't don't have those characters but for me and for i think a lot of the community still those characters are so goddamn important they are still the, yes. in the way that they were told throughout the entire three seasons or two two and a, whatever one and a bit season with them in it and the way that it was told in that episode nothing can ever take away from me how important that was to that was to me and to, was to lgbt characters and i think that they would they are going to have such an such an incredible legacy and i think it, it, it's a shame to get stuck in that tiny bubble as much as that tiny bubble sucks and shouldn't have happened. But I, I don't think for me and I, and I wish it didn't happen for other people. I wish it didn't take away from the characters that they love so much. They obviously love so much and are so passionate about. But, but that's why we're processing now. Yeah. I mean, I, that is the thing. Yeah. We, we seem to be processing it quite quickly. You know, that's, I think it's, it's a little bit of a, an age thing, a maturity thing, having experienced things like this before, and also just being on the side where we're critics and we're journalists and we and we see the you know the broader implications and we don't get stuck in that moment and i can totally understand that people are going to be emotional for a long time and they're not going to want to see outside of that and even if they never do that's fine but yeah it is about processing it and seeing it from that perspective and i think if people do i hope that they will see that and still love those characters for what they are here here stuff's getting an intense man <laughs> I don't, I'm, haven't cried yet, but it's been close a couple of times. Every time I, I, I'm a little bit of a torture, self-torturer because I have watched that scene, you know, in, in, in its entirety several I times. And I, and every but time. it's so good. It is, it is, it is, that's, that's the hardest part to swallow about it is if it hadn't been good, if it had been the acting, if the, the feelings hadn't been there, if the, the emotion hadn't been there, it wouldn't have had the same impact that it does. That's, that's the reality of it is that it was yeah. unbelievable. And I can't even, yeah. yeah, I can't even put into words how how beautiful that, that entire thing was. It was. It was very well done, as awful as the whole thing is. I think like all things, you know, it's always that things like this are never as simple as you want them to no, be, right? No. That like, it was beautiful and incredibly well done and absolutely gut-wrenching. It was also like, I think we're all kind of in agreement that like, this was such a almost duplicate copy of a trope we have seen so many times that what's unfortunate to me about that is it it was so good if they had found some other creative way to not fall exactly into that trope mhm yeah it would like it wouldn't have been overshadowed by that right which i feel like it's been a little overshadowed by that and it that's so unfortunate yeah it is it is no one's ever going to be able to look at that scene and and see it for what it is. The the thing that that came to me afterwards again, you know, from looking at it a few times, in that some some aspects of the way that it happened and some aspects of the trope, even as bad as that is, were in this instance important to the to the story and the way that it happened. The fact that it was a gun, I think, is so, is yeah. in this story so so important. It's the the one thing that they've banned and they've and they've and they've rallied against and they've refused to have and then it's the one thing that brings her down you know like 
the fact that she is so strong and we've seen her beat people on the battlefield and in single combat and, you know, she doesn't have a weakness except the one thing that they've always said is, you know, terrible for their, for their society. And, you know, it's, it's, and by her teacher. Yeah. And by the, the one person who, yeah, was trying to stop that. The oppressive male figure. <laughs> yeah. That too. Yeah. So again, like you can't take away from the fact that it was not, not a good decision and not a good, not a good writing style to fall into that trope. I think that I, I disagree when people say that it should have happened on a battlefield, that it should have been a, a grand sacrifice. I, oh, think I totally that, disagree. No. You do you think that it should have been like that? No, I don't. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, I'm right, saying yeah. I totally disagree with those yeah, people. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, we know Lex. Of course, Lex is going to sacrifice herself for for her people and for Clark, and she's going to sure. go and she's going to be an incredible. You know, I almost think it would have been a cop out if we'd seen her in that moment where she's at her peak and at her, the ultimate. You know, commander status. If that was that brought her down, it would take away from everything that she was. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the problem, though, is that people were maybe more prepared for that mm. as a possibility. Yeah. And so it's less that they wanted it to happen that way and more that in their mind they had already prepared for that. You know yeah. what I mean? That's fair. I want to I wanna point out that part of the problem is that this trope, the like, not the trope, I to me... I, I don't know what everybody's sort of defining as like, the, to me, the defining factor is like to have queer characters have sex and be happy and joyous together and immediately die. Yeah. That's what I mean when I'm talking about right. the trope. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that that's the trope. That part is horrible. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, the like the sort the senselessness of death is a theme of the show. Yeah. The way the way that Wells dies, the way that Anya dies the way, even the way that Charlotte dies, and right? Finn. Throwing herself off a cliff. Yeah. A kid, the way that Finn dies, the senselessness of it is a theme of the show. And that's a part of, I think, what they, they played here with Lexa. It was this incredibly senseless, I mean, important. But in some ways, it's... So one thing that they couldn't plan for, and I think that yeah. that's, that's, that is the theme of the show, is that they're, they're trying so hard to evolve, to, you know, to stop wars and to stop fighting and, and, you know, to not die from exposure and cold and blah, blah, blah. And then it's the one thing that they can't plan for. And yeah. that's what's the thing been you the could downfall. never have imagined. And that's, yeah. that's the, you can't plan for nuclear war. That's, that's, it comes back to that. It comes back to the very incident that started this, the show is that it's going to be this one moment in time where you just, there's, there's nothing you can do. You're, you're totally yeah. powerless. Yeah, and I think that that's that's totally a really really powerful powerful thing. But also, this show is just not kind to people to to characters who advocate for peace. Mm. True. Yeah, and the moment that it, that it begins to be Lexa is is the moment that it that it ends her. I don't know about everyone else, but the moment that Lexa was like, "I'm not thinking about it. I'm doing it." <laughs> about blood must not have blood. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh no! <laughs> oh <Yeah>. no! <laughs> oh no!" This isn't good. You're yeah. marked for death now. Like, yeah. It's never good <laughs> when, when you know, I, I mean, you know, she was always, uh, to me, maybe not for other people, for me, she was always going to die this season because Alicia can't come back to the show and the 100 is not going to throw away an opportunity to kill one of their most beloved characters yeah. in hopefully a really powerful way. And I think- A bunch of jerks. I, just yeah. to, in, the, in, a, in a deep, deep-seated part of me who's had a lot of characters just disappear and a lot of characters that I loved and, and, uh, and that I identified with disappear. I like that we had 
closure to some extent, although we know we don't actually have closure clearly because of the uh, circumstances of this show. But <laughs> it it was, you know, let's, let's briefly throw in Delphine, like, not that I actually identified with that character and I didn't really even like it, Soz guys, but um, that, is a, that is a moment where you're like, but did she or didn't she? And you, you always have that uncertainty and it's like, they're stringing you along. And that is baiting to me. <laughs> like that, that feels more like queer baiting than, well, obviously this isn't, I don't think this is at all, but I'm glad that we got. You guys want to hear a fun story about what happens when your representation just wanders off into the sunset? <laughs> please. The entire please. Tony Sawicki tag on Tumblr, 90% of the time is just bring back Tony Sawicki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, I believe it. That's the whole tag. You yeah. know why? Because our representation was like there for an episode and then just disappeared yeah <laughs> never to be heard from again and i know people feel like maybe that would be better than dying but i would much rather have had tony taking a bullet for one of his sisters than yeah just the disappearance yeah you know so that's like something to think about as well the alternative always seems better when you're facing the reality that's true I think. that's <laughs> true know? it's always greener on the other side yeah i totally get that yeah. I, I probably would be saying the exact same thing if we had seen lexidus walk off at the end of season two you know like right yeah, yeah. effort for sure and I, I mean, I have to wonder, like, how much are they thinking about, like, did we rush this decision? Should we have spent more time, right? Like, you and I and Chris, right? People, we we sit in this community and we go, oh man, I would have agonized over that forever. I, maybe mm. they didn't. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe they should have, and maybe they know that now, which yeah. would be to me great progress to have two major players in television who now know that. Yeah. When they didn't before. Yeah. I mean, we we are ripping it, grasping at straws to find positives out of it. I, like yeah. because that's the kind of people that we are. I can see that yeah. immediately that we we don't want to we don't want to come out of this and 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 you know just be depressed. Let there be something good. <laughs> yeah. So if if there is a positive, and I and I hope that people will see that positive one day, and and maybe it'll give them a little bit of relief from from how upset they are. That it is going to get better, you know, and that's a dis- and that this is a moment in time and in TV where it is going to get better. And it's going to, not only is it going to get better with those two creators, but it's going to push more people to, to create better stories. And I hope that people do. And I hope people, I hope there are so many LGBT people on TV that, that yeah, like you, like people have been saying, you can, you can kill someone in a, in a situation like this. And it's not going to be a point of contention because we can go and see ourselves someone else somewhere else. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the dream. But I think we are moving so towards that one tiny little step at a time and people want the progress to happen faster. And if they do, yes, go and make stuff. And I'm so behind people going and making stuff. Heck yes. Like I'm in, I'll help you. Let's do it. Let's, let's create stories that, that we can, yeah, that we can love that way. Yep. I have a whole small business devoted to that <laughs> entire idea. <laughs> yeah. And I have, I am committed I have so to many, that thing. So I have stories that I want to tell as well. Absolutely. Yep. You know, we're, we're content creators. We know, we know what we know, how we want to fix this. For sure. So hopefully it will. Chris, any final thoughts? I feel like we're finally circling for a landing on this very intense piece of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's one of those things, the whole situation, it's, it's a tough situation. I fully acknowledge that. I mean, there really is no easy, no good solution to this in this particular God, if circumstance. there was, like, this, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Like, we wouldn't be having these conversations. What I wouldn't give Yeah, we've all gone, why the hell didn't you just do this yeah. and then walked away? And then, like, and, then, and then I would have been just angry. I wouldn't have had any, yeah, I wouldn't have right. been able to sort of work through it uh, logically like this. I would have just been mad. That's what makes it so difficult. Anyway, continue. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see where the story is going from here. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you 
hinted that this was going to happen. He basically said it had to happen. It happened. Okay, now what? Can we talk about the reincarnation thing? Because I'm excited. Mm. <laughs> uh, go for it. Oh, me? I'll talk about it. Sure. <laughs> I just meant let's talk <laughs> about it. You just said that you were excited <laughs> I, about um, it. <laughs> I just, I'm, okay, here's the deal. You go, I wrote about this. Here's my pitch. You go into the room, referring to the writer's room, you go into the room at the beginning, starting to break your season, knowing you're going to lose the actor who plays one half of your major queer relationship on the show, which is important for representation. And as a character is hugely important to a lot of people, all of those things, right? You know that that's true. And you're like, we have to, and you're the hundred. So you're not just going to have her like leave. <laughs> you're going to kill her because you're the hundred. Okay, so we have to kill off this character. If we have to kill off our, like, beloved character who provides great queer representation, is there a loophole where we can kind of get out of it to continue to give something back to the queer community to, like, deal with that? And to me, I feel like the whole reincarnation thing might give us that, mm. and that would be great. That we are going to see the commander again in some form or another I, is yeah. I mean, it, to it me. is a cop out. At the same time, it is totally a cop out. It is though an understandable cop it out. Is. But I, they've definitely been leading towards that. You know that obviously the elements and the things that that Lexa loves about Clark are going to still exist. And the fact that you know, on a in her dying breath, she's telling Titus to protect her. That's that's obviously the most important thing to her now. And that's not going to go away from whoever takes on the flame next obvious like they that, yeah that's definitely right. gonna happen we're definitely gonna see that i think it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out for clock like that, that's gonna be such an, such a weird situation to be in the love of your life is now inside someone else but not really just the love of your life it's also 12 other people you know like um mm -hmm. and and how does that work for her i think that'll be really fun to see um, I think it'll be really just interesting to see how she deals with it, even beyond that, you know, dealing with the, another death and another more blood on her hands and how, how she sort of gets past that, which I can't even begin to speculate on because she's that, that character, you know, has, has done so many crazy and different things and, and come out of things in a different way that I was not expecting every time. Where Clark goes from here is like, but it's, it's also the, it's the right city now. of light, right? Like there's, that's, that's obviously the, where the story is going it's going to the city of light yeah. and and how that ties into the people that have already died and the people that will die and you know what that means that's 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 the whole season though right like you can't yep. try and pull out the ending of this season i don't think um, i want to i'll just point out i don't actually know anything but i listened to javi's podcast and one of the things he said was everything that you think you know as of these first seven episodes the second half of the season is going to blow away. So mm. just be prepared. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so we're speculating for nothing <laughs> for is what no you're reason. saying. <laughs> He's like, Great. there are storm clouds gathering you guys don't even know about yet. I'm like, really? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Javi. We have all of these ideas. Just go and ruin but them all. <laughs> I, I love that about this show. I, Which is great. It's what yeah. makes this show such a good thing is that you can't just go, oh, I know what's going to happen next episode. Or, you know, we didn't know Lexa was going to die or whatever, but I don't know what that's going to mean in terms of reincarnation. Like they're going to throw curveballs yeah. at us at every second. So yeah, I'm, I, I can speculate all I want and I will, because that's the kind of person that I am and I love to do it. Same. But I also love to be wrong. I love to be wrong. Me too. Cause it's so much yeah. more fun. And that to way. like, and to see the new stuff <laughs> unfold and just go, Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> like, You're like, I was like, I was right about the fact that there was going to be blood. 
but not about the rest of it. That's that's what's been yeah. happening to me lately. So yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to happen, and I, I think there's a lot to happen for the queer characters for sure. But I don't want to. I don't want a Rose Ten situation either. Okay, that's that's a trope as well. You know, put the put the character that died in a situation where they can sort of be together forever, but not really be together forever because it's a copy of them and they're in an alternate universe, whatever. But obviously that's sort of where it's leading as well. Yeah. So hopefully they, they find a way to spin, put a spin on that, you know, that it's not just yeah, she's cool. in the City of Light, Clark gets to the City of Light, Clark sees her, and then Clark has to make a decision again, you know, like I don't, I don't want that to be how it ends, personally. I agree. I have no curiously lacking in speculation about any of that besides that I'm, I'm interested for the questions of identity that come with being reincarnated into yeah, another that's a person really good via point. Maybe, maybe AI. We're gonna see, maybe we are going to see a lot more reputation for trans community in terms of identity and, and what that means. My secret, for- my secret quiet hope. <laughs> the exploration of gender on the hundred. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I want it. No, but see, it, like- it could. It, it absolutely could. I, I, yeah. I think that that, that that is an avenue that they totally should go down. They've gone down every other possible, you know, sort of representation type of thing. Why not that? But I also don't want to see, it would, it would cool. I don't want to necessarily have like, you know, uh, Aiden be the next one and then have to, I don't, I don't want it to be done wrong is what I'm saying. I don't want it, I don't want it to be poorly done is the only thing. And I'm scared of that now. I'm so scared. You've heard me once. I'm scared of that all the You've time. You've heard me once, Rothenberg. <laughs> <laughs> If they don't do it on the show, maybe somebody will write the fanfic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should write the fanfic. Maybe you should. <laughs> do it. <laughs> so shall we move on to some random thoughts and, you know, away from the crushing sadness? Yes. Okay. So I had this thought and I'm I'm pretty sure now that, you know, the, there's the commander's cape thing, like on the shoulder armor mm-hmm. guard thing. There's mm-hmm. the, the sort of orangey red. Yeah sash i guess maybe i bet you anything that's made from the remnants of becca's spacesuit yeah i sure hope so yeah. i could see it or the parachute yeah could be the parachute the one of the props people tweeted a picture of the flame keeper the flame kit, yeah and yeah. it is made from pieces of the of becca's spacesuit and and stuff and speaking of that in melanie killingsworth's blog post about the show she pointed out that there are parallels between Becca and Raven. She was actually talking about it in the context of how the horrible crushing death sort of overshadowed the reveals that came after that, because you're still thinking about that. And she's right, because I hadn't fully thought about it until I was reading the thing. I was like, oh, thank you for pointing that out, Melanie, because I was too sad to think about it at the time. But yeah, I mean, Becca and Raven fell to Earth in their little space pods and their space suits and there's a color similarity there with mm. the uh you know raven's got the sort of orangey red jacket yeah and and also just the relationship we've seen so far with ally and raven is interesting mm-hmm. yeah. and i think you can Agreed. sort of see that they they clash their personalities clash in the way that they have very similar yeah very similar personalities very similar humor um elements and uh, technological geniuses I was say, yeah. raven is a super genius engineer so yeah yeah, I think those parallels are super fascinating. I definitely saw the the parallel between Raven and Becca, mostly in the I saw it, the in the super genius sort of falls from the sky um mm-hmm. 
kind of deal. To save humanity? Yeah. I, uh, speaking of falling from the sky to save humanity, I just want to touch on one thing I thought of that made me happy, which is a little bit related to what Tara was talking about earlier with the, like, this sort of love that resonates across the entire universe and how cool that is. The, I meant to say this in the Lexa death scene and I'd forgotten. This is why I'm bringing it up now. The, when Lexa dies and she says, you were right, life is about more than just surviving. I immediately pinged back to Becca talking about Allie to understanding what humans need. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. to me, that resonated as a very like major moment for Allie too, that suddenly there's a new understanding of what humanity needs. Yeah, it's evolution. Surviving it's, it's, is not enough. It's the evolution of AI and and, yeah. and the combination of humanity. Absolutely. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there that that particular line to me mm-hmm. read as incredibly impactful, and I'm excited to see where that goes. I have one random thought: the sets on the hundred this season have been so good. I'm my, my mind is blown. So I have no idea who does their their set stuff but it's so good so whoever you are if you ever hear this podcast like shout out to those people honestly like it's the cw i can't imagine the hundred budget is massive right and i am every like especially this season i've been blown away by Mm. how big they've made everything given and like you know half of their budget went to candles Mm. (laughs) all the candles They're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm blown away. It's great, though. I, I love it. <laughs> Same. I'm blown away by the production value of basically everything in this. Sh- I mean, I think the special effects are re- have always uh, really gotten yeah. to me. I mm-hmm. know that there's little, gonna, always going to be little issues, but yeah, for for a TV show budget, holy beep, they're doing well. That was that's all uh, Zoic Zoic Studios. They're incredible, mm-hmm. right? Love it. Yeah, that fl- the flame thing was so cool when they pulled it yeah. out, and it was like gross, but I loved it. So creepy and awesome. Yeah. Just everything about the show has been much bigger than I would have anticipated on a television budget, mm. particularly of a show of this size. So um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really awesome. Just the entire team doing all of that. Mm. Yep. Kudos to them. <laughs> Indeed. Another reason I will continue watching the show. I want all those people to continue to be employed. Correct. They're, yeah. they're doing good work and yeah, I want them yeah. to be paid for that. I, I don't think that one mistake, regardless of whose mistake it was, should end a, a show that we all obviously connected to on such a incredible level for so long. Yeah. Agreed. So I think that sums up more or less our thoughts about episode 307. The plan going on from here, because we're doing kind of a weird thing since this episode was such a big deal, we decided to go ahead and release this first. The The plan, we're going to talk about episode 308 next week. And then there's going to be a two-week hiatus of the show, and during those, we're going to try to get out episodes covering the first six episodes of this season. And we are not 100% sure how we're going to group those together, probably episodes one through three and then four through six, I imagine, on those two weeks, and then go back to weekly episodes about the most recent episodes for the rest of the season. So, Or maybe we'll change it up. We hope you'll join us for those, and... Uh, do you have a uh, any websites or anything that you want to promote? Tara? Um, yeah, sure. You can you can basically find me if you search Taz Pants anywhere. I'm on Tumblr and Twitter, and I have a website that's got nothing good on it, but you can go there if you want. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. What about you, Dawson? 
I am Geek Dawson on Tumblr and Professor's Mind on Twitter. I should really make those match someday. But <laughs> the best place to find me is ourcreativecommons.com, which is a small plug given everything we've been talking about. It is a small business that I have, which is entirely about minority people telling their stories in the, in the TV format. So it's not entirely complete. The website's right in the middle of a revamp, but that's the place to find me and my cohorts who are all working on things like that. So, And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And you can find our show notes at askgenretv.com, where you can also find our other podcasts. We have podcasts for Lost Girl and Orphan Black and Killjoys and some other things. So check that out if you're interested. You can also find us on Twitter at AskGenreTV. Thank you for listening, and juice no drain, juice down. Juice no drain, juice down. That's my, my life motto. Juice no drain, juice down.